Well, again, it's good to be here with you today. I tell you what, for about the last year, uh, we have been in as uncertain a situation uh, as I can remember. And uh, it seems like, obviously, uh, especially in our city, things have intensified uh, in the last week. I'd like to share a little quote with you. We have no clue what tomorrow holds, but we know the one who holds tomorrow. Let me say that again. We have no clue what tomorrow holds, but we know the one who holds tomorrow. And because of that, we can walk in hope, uh, we can walk in peace, we can walk in joy, knowing that, the, that our God is the one uh, who holds the future. I don't know about you, but uh, I've got someone in my life that uh, I always went to uh, whenever I was in those moments of uncertainty and, and uh, uh, feeling like I was in times of trouble, and uh, uh, that person is no longer with us on this earth. It was my dad, uh, a guy named John Randalls, great preacher. Uh, one of the upsides uh, to having a preacher mentor uh, that no longer is, uh, is with us that's in heaven is a lot of his stuff was recorded. And so I'm able to go back and to listen to some of his sermons and remember some of the things uh, that I think he would say to me in these moments of difficulty. And uh, there was one story in particular uh, that very, very much stuck with me. Uh, Dad had gone through a time of difficulty and uncertainty. Uh, he'd been a part of smuggling some Bibles uh, into a country called Romania uh, when it was still uh, uh, in, communist, uh, in a communist era. And uh, I'll never forget uh, Dad... Uh, Again, had gotten thrown out of the country, got caught uh, in 1986, thrown out of the country, and uh, and then uh, really was nervous about what the future was going to hold. Well, when the Iron Curtain falls in the 90s, he's invited back by a missionary named Titi Bolzan uh, to go back into the country and to preach to the people again because the borders were open. And uh, it was a very uncertain time and a very intense time. And uh, I remember Dad said the words of Titi Bolzan to him. He was nervous about what the future held. And Titi Bolzan said to him, God is sovereign. They cannot touch us until it's time. What powerful words for us to remember even today. God is sovereign. They cannot touch us until it's time. Whatever tomorrow holds, and we're recording this on a Wednesday. A week from today, seven days from today, uh, the inauguration will be over, and a lot of the uncertainty that's sitting in front of us will be past us. One week from today, the world will be different, and we will know exactly what it was that we were so nervous about that was uncertain on the horizon. God already knows. He's the one who holds the future. And if we trust him, if we truly believe he is sovereign, then we should walk in freedom and in confidence that he will uphold us with his righteous right hand. There are some of you watching this today that have got jobs leading into the inauguration or you have duties that you have to take care of and fulfill. I want you to remember that quote from my dad all those years ago about Romania. God is sovereign. You do what the Lord means for you to do, what he has set aside for you to do, and trust him to take care of you in that process. There's some of you who have loved ones that have duties to take care of, things that they need to do. Trust that the Lord is sovereign. They will do what they are meant to do, and the Lord will take care of them, uphold them with his righteous right hand. And then for those of you who have no connection, you're just uh, strapped in for this roller coaster ride living in this country, which is most of us. If that's you, the truth is the same for you as well. God is sovereign, and we have to trust him in this process. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get started today. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Come what may, seven days from today, come what may into the future. Lord, we know this. You are the one who holds the future. And just like the old hymn writer says, life is worth the living because you're the one who holds the future and because Jesus Christ lives because he rose from the grave. Lord, I pray that we would rest in that confidence. You hold the future and you hold the keys to death in Hades. You set us free from our sin. And again, you have our soul taken care of. We love you, Lord. Speak in power this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you got your Bibles, open to Psalm 23. Great verse to read today. Psalm 23, and then also 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to continue our study uh, of, uh, of the uh, story of Elijah and King Ahab uh, coming into 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 16 today. I want to point out, like I have several times before, 
We start at the top of a passage and we work our way down. Um, if there is any connection to what's taking place in the world today, which there is definitely going to be through this passage, I just want you to know none of it was done on purpose. Again, we're recording this on Wednesday, and so if this happens to strike a chord, you need to know that it was the Holy Spirit speaking directly to your heart and not something that I was trying to engineer. It's one of the cool things about preaching expository preaching style. Uh, when you exegete a passage, you work from top to bottom. And again, the Spirit gets to speak for himself. And so um, our study today starts with this question. Have you ever gotten the courage to do something because someone else was with you? Again, have you ever gotten the courage to do something because someone else was with you? Sometimes it's easier to do something if someone else goes alongside you. Some of you put off those doctor's appointments until someone else finally has the courage to step up and to go with you. Again, there's many of you who navigate addiction where that first time that you went to AA to NA or to, again, one of the anonymous organizations, addiction groups, I'm telling you, somebody going with you made the difference for you. It gave you just a little extra courage so that you could, again, uh, jump into that scenario. Some of you uh, remember when you were younger? Dax is in the room with us today. Dax, the first time you went off the high dive when you were a kid, sometimes you get nervous to go off that high dive into the swimming pool, but having a friend that goes with you, that walks to that set of stairs with you, is just enough courage so that you can jump off that high dive and do, again, uh, what you're trying to do. Sometimes having a hard conversation with somebody, just having somebody else to sit there beside you while you have that tough conversation with someone can be so powerful. I've got a friend that took care of me and helped me get to go preach an event uh, where I needed some help. This is a man named Kenneth Clayman. Uh, Kenneth and his uh, wife, Lori, are probably watching with us. Uh, I sure appreciate you guys, and uh, Kenneth and Lori have been praying for you by name uh, this last week. Uh, Kenneth uh, owns a sandblasting company in West Texas, and uh, right when I moved to Lubbock, uh, right after leaving Wichita Falls, I had an opportunity to preach in Beaumont. But here's the deal. If you don't know Texas uh, geography, between Texas, Texas is so big, between Lubbock, Texas, and Beaumont, Texas, it's right at a 12-hour drive to get between those two cities. Texas is a massive state. And again, Beaumont, even uh, uh, even uh, south of the Houston area, a long way, or, or far, far away from the Houston area, and then Lubbock, of course, in the middle of West Texas. And so I had to preach a Friday-Saturday Disciple Now weekend for students in Beaumont that in Ended at 8.30 p.m., and then I had to be back to work the next morning at our church in Lubbock, Texas, by 9.15 a.m. the next morning uh, whenever uh, the church would open up for services. That meant there was 30 minutes of leeway uh, where I would have to drive all night. And I'm telling you, I was about to cancel the student event and not go uh, because I just thought there's no way I can do this and be worth anything the next day. Enter my friend, Kenneth Clayman. Kenneth comes up, and Kenneth goes, I got an idea. He said, I got a nice, big, dually pickup truck. And he said, how about if I drive you all the way down to Beaumont? And he said, we'll drive back together. I'll drive you all night. You can sleep in the back. And he said, when you wake up, you'll be fresh and ready to go to church. And I said, Kenneth, it sounds like I'm getting the better end of that deal. And Kenneth asked for one thing in order to go. He said, there's a Papacitos on the way. Some of you know Papacitos, delicious Mexican food, Tex-Mex, just delicious delicious. He said, if you'll buy me shrimp bruschetta, it's this shrimp wrapped, or jalapenos and, and shrimp and bacon wrapped. It's so delicious. I'm, I'm getting the mouth watering just thinking about it. Just delicious. He said, if you'll buy me shrimp bruschetta on the drive back, he said, we'll use the 30 minutes to fill up with gas and to get shrimp bruschetta uh, to, uh, to go uh, at Papacito's. He said, I'll make that drive for you. I said, dude, let's do it. And sure enough, I was going to cancel we got to see the Lord move at that Disciple Now weekend. We got to see students pray to receive Christ. And then I got to be at work on time the next day. Sometimes having a buddy gives you confidence and courage to go just a little bit further. It's not just that way with people here on earth. It's that way with our Heavenly Father as well. God has truly gifted us with his presence he is near to us, and because of that, you are never alone. You are never isolated. He is always with you. David teaches us that principle in one of the most famous passages of Scripture, Psalm 23. You've got to picture this. Look at Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. David himself is a shepherd, and he's about to make an observation. 
He's sitting in the field. He's taking care of the sheep. And then all of a sudden, he begins to notice. Look at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for him, his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Underline and highlight. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You got to picture David working as a shepherd boy. He's the youngest in his family, and so he's given what probably could be considered the dirtiest but easiest job hanging out in the field with the sheep, watching them and taking care of them. And as he's out there for hours and days and weeks at a time, all of a sudden he realizes, whoa, the Lord is my shepherd. The same way that I lead, feed, and protect these sheep, it's the same way that God Almighty does for me. He leads, feeds, and protects me. He then comes in and talks about what it means for God to be with him, just like the shepherd is with the sheep. He says he is with me. He makes me lie down. He leads me. Me. He restores me. He guides me. And even though difficult things happen, even though I get scared, I don't have to be afraid because the Lord is with me. If you're taking notes, write this down. God's presence in our lives, or God's presence in our life is constant. And when we remember that, we have courage. Let me say that again. God's presence in our lives is constant. And when we remember that, we have courage. God is with you all the days of your life. He sees you. There's a beautiful passage in Genesis. It's another story for another day. But a woman who's gone through great family turmoil is visited by an angel, and she looks and says, you are not just a God, but she says to God Almighty, I will call you the God who sees me this beautiful image that God is involved in our lives and he is with us. It's one of the names of Jesus, Emmanuel. It literally means God with us. That's who Jesus is to us, God with skin on who has come to take care of us and save us from our sin. God's presence in our life is constant and we remember that we have courage. If you're taking notes today, our big million-dollar question is this. We're going to focus in our passage of 1 Kings on this question. When can we count on God being with us? Now, just for the record, I could sum it up in one point. All the time, all right? When can we count on God being with us? The answer to that is there's not a time when he is not with us. He is with us always. In fact, it says in Scripture, there's no place we can go where God is not, uh, and there's no place so high or so low where we could get away from him. The Lord surrounds us at all times. He is ever-present. And yet... Sometimes we need to be reminded of specific scenarios where the Lord is with us. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we get three such situations where God is with Elijah specifically when difficulty is in front of him. Now flip over to 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 16 and verse 17. Remember, as our lead-in from last week, we introduced you to a dude named Obadiah. Obadiah means servant of God, and he's working as the chief uh, overseer in the palace for a wicked king named King Ahab. Remember, it says that Obadiah is not just named servant of God, but that he is devout in his faith, reminding us, like we said last week, you are a, you're a living for God, and being godly is not dependent on having a good job uh, or on, uh, uh, or on uh, working for a godly boss or a godly mentor. Again, in this circumstance, Obadiah lives for Yahweh even though he's in a bad situation. And what we have leading into this passage is Elijah goes to Obadiah and says, tell Ahab, tell the wicked king uh, that I am coming to town and that finally the Lord is going to lift this famine in dramatic fashion. Now they've been trying to find Elijah so that they can kill him leading up to this point, uh, but they haven't been able to find him. So Obadiah gathers the courage, gathers the faith, and he goes into Ahab and tells him uh, that Elijah is here. Look at what happens real quick. It says in verse 16, 
So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and he told him, or, and, uh, and told him, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. Verse 17, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Now stop right there for just a minute. For those of you who were here with us last week, remember how Obadiah greets Elijah. He says when he sees him, the man of God, the servant of God, Obadiah, sees Elijah and says, my Lord Elijah, is that you? There's a very stark comparison here to a devout man of God saying, "Lord, my Lord Elijah, is that you? Servant of Almighty God, is that you? And now you've got Ahab, the wicked king, greeting Elijah, the man of God, in a completely different way. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Even though Ahab knows he's been taught since he was young to follow Yahweh, he's gone after a false god, he's married a woman who has led him in a dark path, and because of that, he comes in and he starts to hurl insults and hate at Elijah. When can we count on God being with us? Number one, first and foremost, when people say hateful things. When people say hateful things, it can make you feel isolated, bullied, and alone. But God is with you. It's a lie straight from the pits of hell that you are all alone in that circumstance. When hateful words come our way, God is with us. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Words cannot be made true by forceful or persuasive speech. The truth is the truth, no matter how it's presented. Let me say that again. Words cannot be made true by forceful or persuasive speech. The truth is the truth, no matter how it's presented. There are some of you watching this, who may have a situation in your life where someone said hateful things to you over and over and over again, and you started to believe them as fact, even though they were not true in any way, shape, or form. When we remember that God is with us, it's easier for us to cling to the truth in our lives, because we know that he is the one who shapes our identity. He is the one who has made us and shaped us for such a time as this on this earth. Whenever we start to listen and believe those hateful things that are being said, when we believe those falsehoods, when we get saturated in it, we end up making mistakes. So this happened to me back in the day. Um, I won't say his name, but there was a young man who really terrorized me when I was in elementary school. And uh, um, he was the kid in school. I was the preacher's kid, and so I was disciplined pretty good. Um, he was the kid that used the four-letter words first in our class. And so some of you can remember that. Some of you may have been that kid. That's uh, no judgment, all right? I'm just telling you, that was this kid. Um, he, was, uh, uh, he had used words I had never heard before, and I would use them at home and, and then get in trouble, okay? And so, um, again, he had some tough things going on, but, uh, but he, he really beat me up pretty good emotionally and, and uh, verbally and, and physically as well. And uh, I remember we ended up going to different middle schools. Uh, but my first year playing JV basketball, sure enough, we're about to play against this kid's team. And I was terrified because of what I had been through and the bullying that I had endured. I was so nervous to go and play basketball against this kid. So much so that I, the coach put me in the game, and this is crazy, playing the basketball game while this kid was shooting a free throw. Now here's what's crazy. He he wasn't even very strong. In fact, his shot was to shoot the basketball over his head like this. He wasn't even strong enough to put up a normal shot. And I'm scared to death, terrified of this kid because, again, of those hateful words that had been spewed on me, that hate that had been spewed on me over those years. And so I'll never forget, the coach puts me in, we line up at the foul line, and I committed an infraction that is never, ever called. I committed a lane violation that is never called in sports. That's where when somebody's shooting a free throw, you can't cross the line until the ball leaves the person who's shooting the ball's hand. And so I'm sitting there, or excuse me, I'm standing there on the line, and I just start shaking and getting so nervous, and there he is. And I remember thinking, what if he recognizes me? Of course he's going to recognize me. We're close to each other in proximity. He's shooting the free throw. He knows I go to this other school, and I'm shaking and shaking. And sure enough, I cross the line. He misses the free throw, but I cross the line and get him another shot because I was so nervous and so worked up by hateful words that had come at me years before. 
guess what happened? The coach calls me over to the sidelines, and he goes, Randalls, what is wrong with you? And I just go, coach, I just, that guy, and he goes, we're with you. I remember him saying, we're with you. You don't have to be afraid. I didn't even have to tell him the story. We're with you. You don't have to be afraid. And you know what? We won the game. There's that, all right? I tell you that to say, when people say hateful things, knowing that the Lord is with you, knowing that you are on his team, that that person has no power over you, is a powerful, powerful place to be. Words cannot be made true by forceful or persuasive speech. The truth is the truth, no matter how it's presented. There's two types of hateful words that come at you, by the way. There's hateful words that people mean to hurt you with. And then sometimes hateful words can come at you when they weren't meant to hurt you. They can come at you because somebody's just popping off or not really realizing what they're saying. I had a situation one time with a very, very dear friend, very dear friend, and they were talking about a group of us that had graduated together, and the individual made the comment, look at such and such, it's so exciting. They ended up being a music producer at this uh, production company. They said, look at such and such. Man, he made his first million before he was 30. And then this individual said, and Zach, he's just a youth minister. At the time, I was working as a youth minister at a small church. Now, here's what's interesting. I truly believe with all my heart the person didn't realize what they were saying. And I was very proud to work at the church that I was working at and do the work that God had called me to do. But that moment cut me, and it hurt my pride just a little bit. Can I tell you what I learned in that circumstance not just when someone had meant to hurt me, when someone had meant to be hateful, but where it had come at me accidentally as well. In both cases, you find your identity and your peace in the fact that God is with you, that he is guiding your steps, that he is leading your life, and that we have to trust that he's the one who holds the future. When we do that, we have peace even in times of difficulty. Save your spot in 1 Kings and flip over now to Philippians chapter 1. I want to read you verses 27 and 28. You've heard these verses from me several times. They're just really, really good for what we're going to talk about today. When can we count on God being with us? Again, when people say hateful things. Look at this example here. Paul writes it this way. He says, whatever happens, again, whatever comes at you, whatever hateful speech, whether it's intentional or unintentional, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, Paul says, I will know that you stand firm firm in one spirit and contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Look at this. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, because this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Stop right there for just a minute. During these days with intense uncertainty surrounding us, that passage in Philippians chapter one is so critical for us. Whatever is on the horizon, whatever comes, good, bad, or ugly, we have to know that the world is watching us in this circumstance. We proclaim that we have hope and faith in Jesus Christ and that he will take care of us as the one who holds the future. And when we cling to that and truly live in that hope, what Paul says is it convicts the world around us. When we get scared and run around like chickens with our head cut off and we say the right things but we don't live it, they still see the fear flicker in our eyes. When they see that, again, they go, you don't really believe this. You don't really have faith. It was a nice place for you to gather on Sunday mornings at church. It's a nice place for you to hang out with in the youth group on Wednesday night. But when trouble comes, you don't have a foundation. I want to encourage you. Trust the Lord and follow what the Apostle Paul says there. When those hateful words come at you, when those moments of difficulty and uncertainty come against you, God is with you in the storm. And when we cling to him, it causes the rest of the world to look at us and go, I want what they have. They truly believe this. They truly know that their Lord will take care of them. It begs the question, 
Are you treating hate with too much respect? Are you treating hate with too much respect? When we treat hate with too much respect, that's when you get a lane violation. That's when you commit an infraction that nobody ever commits in the game of basketball. You get so nervous, you get so worked up, you get so antsy that all of a sudden you end up making a mistake. Don't give hate. Don't give hate respect that it doesn't deserve. Now look at what happens. Flip over to 1 Kings chapter 18, and now let's look at verses 18 through 20. Again, it starts off with name calling. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Now look at verse 18. Elijah speaks in the confidence of Almighty God here. He said, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you have followed the Baals. Remember, Baal's the God of human sacrifice. Gail is, uh, Baal, is a, uh, Baal is a false God, a wicked God, and again, this God of self-love. Uh, look at what it says in verse 19. Elijah says, now summon the people from all all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Underline people from all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel and bring 400, the 400 prophets, uh, excuse me, bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Stop right there for just a minute. Don't miss this. Because there's been famine in the land for three and a half years, there are no crops to harvest. There is no field to till. There's no water in the land, and the famine is so severe, there's not even work in an agricultural economy for people to do. So they go, Elijah says, let's finally have this out. He goes, we're going to do a showdown. That's why we call this thing showdown. We're going to do a showdown between God Almighty and between Baal and Asherah. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Summon the whole country. None of them are doing anything anyway. Summon the whole country to come out here and to be a part of this showdown. Bring all 450 prophets of Baal and also the 400 prophets of Asherah. Remember, Baal is a god of human sacrifice. These are not just priests. These are killers, heartless killers that he has said, bring them in, the worst of the worst. Let them defend their false god Baal and let's see that the Lord is God. Come on in. And they come in and again, it's this amazing circumstance that happens that we're going to read about uh, in the, week, in the uh, weeks to come. If you're taking notes, when can we count on God being with us? Number one, when people say hateful things. Number two, we can count on God being with us when we are outnumbered. In this circumstance, the entire nation is there to sit in the middle and to figure this out. But Elijah says, I will stand by myself on behalf of Almighty God against 850 of the worst of the worst priests. In fact, it is highly likely because Jezebel is the one in the previous passage that's hunting down these preachers, these prophets for Yahweh. It is possible that she is using these prophets of Baal, that they've been the ones to kill the, uh, the Yahweh preachers, that they've been the ones to kill the ones who are defending scripture and our faith. Elijah says, bring them all. I want to talk to all of them on behalf of Almighty God. There's no more time you feel more lonely than when you are outnumbered, right? When God has called you to stand for him in a circumstance when you feel like there are more people against you than there are for you. I played lacrosse in college uh, at Oklahoma State University. I wasn't very good, uh, but I played lacrosse, played midfielder, loved it. And uh, every now and again, uh, you would get a penalty for hitting somebody with your stick. You couldn't hit them in the helmet. And every now and again, somebody get hit in the helmet. And that meant uh, that you'd spend about a minute in the penalty box. And you had to play a man down. Man down wasn't bad. But if you got two penalties around the same time and played two man down uh, and uh, offense or defense, that was when you got real nervous because you were outnumbered and they had an opportunity of what we call a power play. Now, I say that to say this. When you're outnumbered, it causes you to feel a real anxiousness. Uh, but we've got to come to the point where we decide in our faith that we are not going to look at the odds over what God has called us to do. There's a great movie called The Empire Strikes Back that came out years ago. Okay, You had plenty of years to see it. It's a famous line when they're flying through the asteroid 
Detroit field, Han Solo and C-3PO, all right? C-3PO is an artificial intelligence robot, okay? And then you got Han Solo, who's the the gunslinger. He's the, uh, uh, he's again kind of the rebel character, and uh, he pilots a a ship called the Millennium Falcon. That's information that almost every one of you already knew. There's a great line in that movie. They're flying through an asteroid field, and they're about to get blown up uh, unless they just fly through it perfectly. And the famous line is C-3PO, again, this AI robot, looks at Han Solo and says, the odds of us making it through this are 3,720 to 1. Look it up. That's the actual number he throws out. There are 3,720 to 1. And do you remember what Han Solo says back to him? He fires back at him one of the most famous lines in all the Star Wars movies. He says, never tell me the odds. Now, here's the picture. There is a time when odds are helpful in making a decision. Flying for your life through the asteroids when you don't have a choice, someone's on your tail chasing you, the odds don't matter. You're doing what you have to do. Now, that's Star Wars, but it's also the way that you follow Almighty God. There are going to be some times where we take in information so that we can be sober-minded about the decisions that God has placed in front of us to make. But sometimes, you ain't got no decision. There is one path towards righteousness. There is one path towards calling of what God has told you to do, and you got to have the guts to say, you know what? what? Don't tell me the odds because it doesn't matter. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? The odds are always in God's favor. Let me say that again. The odds are always in God's favor. Some of you Hunger Games people are like, that is correct. I mean, whatever it is. I don't know. I didn't actually watch all of those. Anyway, all that to say, the odds are always in God's favor. Remember that when you start counting heads. Let me just say that again. There are going to be some times in your life When you start putting things together by the percentages and by the numbers, and again, God has given you that brilliant brain so that you can do those things, but when there is one path to righteousness, you do it because it's right and not because the odds are in your favor. The odds are always in God's favor because he's the one who wrote the story. He's the one who wrote the book. So much in Scripture is about this. Joshua and Jericho, Paul and every church he ever planted, this was the situation that he had to navigate. The odds were stacked against him. I can still remember um, when we had uh, started uh, interviewing with the North American Mission Board as a partner to come up here and to plant Waterfront. I'll never forget, we were so excited and so filled with this sense of calling that this is what we were supposed to do. And uh, I don't think they meant for it to be this way. Uh, they talked us up and encouraged us. And I'll never forget, we came to meet with a group of other planters and they were trying to recruit money uh, and a partnership from some of these other church leaders. And so they began to talk about how dire the church planting situation was was uh, here in uh, uh, here in D.C., and the North American Mission Board only had one successful church plant in D.C. in the last 60 years. And I remember they're throwing that stat out there, and there were five of us coming in to plant churches at that time. And I'm telling you, you were just sitting there, and all I could think of in the back of my mind was Han Solo, never tell me the odds. You know why? Because we were coming because God had called us, not because the numbers pointed in that direction. Now listen, when you feel outnumbered, The Lord is with you then as well. God is with us whether the odds point in our favor or whether it seems like we are all alone. We are never all alone. He is with us. Save your spot there in 1 Kings and flip over to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. We get a beautiful picture here of Jesus and the man who will become the apostle Peter. At this point, he's just known as Simon. We get a story here in Luke chapter 5, verse 4, when Jesus says, trust me, even though the odds are not in my favor. Look at what it says here in verse uh, chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, verse 4. It says, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, this is Simon who would become Peter, put out in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now stop there for just a minute. Jesus is a preacher as far as Simon knows at this point, um, but all of a sudden he's speaking to Simon who's a professional fisherman who knows the odds, who we're about to find out has been fishing all night, that he should let down his nets for a miraculous catch. Look at verse five. Simon answered, master, we've worked all night 
and we haven't caught anything. The odds are not in our favor that if we drop that net one more time, if we let the boat out one more time, that something good is going to happen for us. Look at this. But because you say so, circle, highlight, and underline, but because you say so, he says, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them so that they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were all astonished at the catch of fish they had taken in. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to him, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats to shore, left everything, and followed him. Stop right there for just a minute. In this beautiful passage, what you find is a situation where the odds are stacked against the miracle. And yet, Peter has the faith, as small as it is at this point, to say, the odds are against this, it's going to take a miracle, but because you say so, I guess I will half-heartedly try this thing. And before you know it, the boats are so filled, so filled, that they begin to sink. Don't miss this too. It says, so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, there as well. The miracle Peter's faith did not just bless his business, it also blessed his business partners and his best friends as well. When you trust God over the odds, when you trust God over what the world says is the way it's supposed to be, when you trust God over the crowd, over the mob, the mob is fickle. When you trust God over the mob and do what is right, even the tiniest bit of faith doesn't just bless you. It ends up blessing all the people that you love in your life as well. If you're taking notes, it begs the question, is your confidence limited to when there's a crowd? Is your confidence limited to when there's a crowd? My dad, for years, would preach a Sunday night service. And uh, man, I loved it. He would say it almost gave him a heart attack, having to write all those different messages. He was usually doing three services on Sunday morning like we do now here at Waterfront. And then uh, him having to come back, he said it was always really tough to turn around after preaching three times on Sunday morning and preach something new and different on Sunday night. The Lord honored his work, uh, but I remember my dad saying, if you ever start a church, he goes, I probably wouldn't do that. That's one of the reasons why we do our Bible study stuff or like we're doing yoke coming up the relationship study on Sunday nights. On Sunday nights, we played the same invitation song just about every week. They changed it up on Sunday morning, but the last song of the service, when they would offer up an opportunity for people to come forward and make decisions, it was an old hymn called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And the hymn is very simple. The first verse is, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That's the decision of the disciple. You make the decision that you will follow Jesus no matter what and that you will not turn back. The second verse is, no none go with me yet still I follow. And then it says at the end, no turning back, no turning back. A beautiful reminder of what the call of a disciple is. We are to do whatever he tells us to do. We are to go wherever he tells us to go. We are to pursue righteousness in every aspect of our life because we are his. Now flip back over to 1 Kings chapter 18. And we'll finish up our last verse today, verse 21. Here's what it says. Now again, Elijah said, call those 450 prophets of Baal. Call those 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And you bring them in the entire country because we got a showdown that's about to take place. Now I want you to notice what happens here in verse 21. It says, then Elijah went before the people and said, how long Will you waver between two opinions? 
underline that question. That is the question of the believer with a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom of God. When you try to appease both, you can't serve two masters, Jesus says. And Elijah says it right here. How long will you waver between two opinions? Look at this. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Man, the scariest part of this whole passage that again is a picture of where we are as a church in America is what it says here at the end. Look at what it says. It says, but the people said nothing. But the people said nothing. Elijah has pitted before them the question of the ages. Your eternity is at stake. The heartbeat of our nation is at stake. If Baal is God, serve him. But if Yahweh is God, serve him. How long will you waver between these two opinions? And what do they do? The crickets are chirping. They say nothing. Can I tell you what's interesting about that? If they had laughed... Scripture would have said it. If they'd gotten angry and heckled him, Scripture would have said it. It says it in other places, even in 1 Kings. When crowds get antsy and have a reaction, it says that this crowd pretended like the question had never even been asked. They said nothing. What a picture of where the church can be today. We just pretend like the problem doesn't exist. If you're taking notes, when can we count on God being with us? Number one, when people say hateful things, God is still with us. When we are outnumbered, God is still with us. And number three, when we feel ignored, God is still with us. There is no doubt The Lord is with Elijah when he speaks these words. And listen to me. Even though it seems like the world is ignoring him, we're about to find out they are very much engaged in the discussion that is taking place. If you're taking notes, I want to give you a little example. Our sweet little daughter, Harper. Harper is our kid that always says, Daddy, watch me. Daddy, watch me. Daddy, watch me when she's swimming. Daddy, watch me, which of course I would watch her when she's swimming. But Daddy, watch me do this thing when I'm swimming. Daddy, watch me play video games whenever she plays video games. Daddy, watch me play Mario. Daddy, watch me do this. Daddy, watch me do that. She's the kid that's always, Daddy, watch me. Look at what I can do. And I'm telling you, a lot of times, uh, I, I just love being around her, but a lot of times she's doing incredibly normal, everyday, ordinary things but she wants me to participate in her life. She wants to know that she has my full attention. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? You never have to beg God to watch you. He is actively involved in your life. Let me say that again. You never have to beg God to watch you. He is actively involved in your life. There are some of you that are trying to live for Christ, and it is hard to be righteous every day. It is hard to do what's right. It's hard to fight against that addiction that seems like it's ingrained in your spirit. It's hard to do the right thing at work when everybody else around you is sinning and doing things that are not right. It's hard to do the right thing in the marketplace or it's hard to do the right thing on Facebook or Twitter. It's hard to do the right thing in your office. And yet, you can feel so alone. God is with you. He's not watching like Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Okay, that's not meant to scare you. With God Almighty, he is there and he understands the why of who you are. He understands what makes you tick and not just what you do, but God understands the why of your life as well. It says in scripture that he knows us better than we know ourselves. I want to read you one last passage of scripture today. Psalm 139, verses one through four. If you'll flip that direction, we get a picture of just how near God is to us. Look at Psalm 139, verses one through four. This is David speaking again. He says, oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. And Lord, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, oh God. Stop right there for just a minute. What a beautiful picture that we 
we have in this set of verses. He starts off by saying, God, you have searched me and you know me. You know exactly what I do when I sit and when I rise. But Lord, you also are in my mind and you know what I'm thinking. You perceive my thoughts. And I love that he says this from afar. The idea is that God is inside our head, that he knows what we're thinking. And yet it's from afar. He doesn't control us like a robot. He allows us to be who he created us to be. He says, you discern my going out and my lying down. You understand the why of who I am. And then verse four, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. When you feel ignored, remember that when there are no words to describe how you feel, the pain or the joy that you are going through, that God knows the words even when there are no words. He is with you. He is with you through good times and difficult. It begs our final question today. Have you forgotten who's in your cheering section? Have you forgotten who's in your cheering section? There's some of you watching this today. And to do virtual church, to not even have the opportunity to come in and to worship together, you feel very, very alone. I want you to know how hard this is for me as well. I can't stand not being together in worship. The staff will tell you. I mean, it's an obsession. I cannot stand being away from you guys. But the Lord is with us. And he is the one cheering us on from the sidelines. And you never have to say, watch me, Daddy. Watch me, Father. Watch me, God. Watch me do this. The Lord is there with us, actively involved in our lives. And we are not alone, especially today. We are not alone. You could also take from Psalm 139, we are not misunderstood. God not only sees you, but God knows you. The how and the why of who you are. Better than you know yourself because he made you for this time. I want to encourage you. Leave today empowered, understanding that God is with us. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, we call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, or watching with us, that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I feel all alone. If that's you, I'd just like to ask you wherever you are, through space and time, to lift your hand wherever you are in a symbol that you are making this request today. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. You'd say, Zach, I do feel all alone. Would you pray for God to open my eyes to see him around me? If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you for having the courage to do that. I'm going to pray for you, but I want to encourage you to pray this prayer also. Pray, God, open my eyes that I might see you at work around me. God, open my eyes that I might see you at work around me. I can tell you that I pray that prayer often. I'll get to points where even as a pastor, I get discouraged um, and this world that we live in today here in D.C. has been difficult. But you ask God, open my eyes so that I can see you at work around me. David even says in Psalm 23, in the last part of the verse that we read in verse 4, Lord, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was the thing that the shepherd used to fight against the predators. And the staff is what was used for correction on the sheep. That God's protection and God's correction are the things that give David peace when he's going through that valley of the shadow of death. I want to encourage you. Pray that simple prayer. God, open my eyes to the work that you're doing around me. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? There's a lot of hate surrounding me right now. 
Would you pray that I would remember that the Lord is with me and that the truth is the truth? If that's you, if you would just indicate that you need prayer by lifting your hand right now. Thank you. Thank you for having the courage to do that. Remember, we said it earlier, words cannot be made true by forceful or persuasive speech. The truth is the truth, no matter how it's presented. We don't want you making lane violations. I'm going to pray for you, but maybe you just pray that simple prayer. Lord, help me to remember the truth and not to listen to the hate. Lord, help me to remember the truth and not to listen to the hate. And then last but not least... Maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? Sometimes I can believe more in the odds than I can in God's sovereignty. Remember, the odds are never stacked against Almighty God. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, pray that my faith would rest in the Lord and not in the odds. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you for doing that. I got a feeling it's a lot of smart people making that decision and asking for that prayer. I'm going to pray for you, but I want to encourage you. Pray this simple prayer. God, I trust you more than the odds. God, I trust you more than the odds. Remember, we need to be sober-minded. He's given us those numbers. He's given us that data. He's given us those heads to count for a reason. But our ultimate faith as a disciple must rest with him. I love you guys. I'm going to pray for us. And then wherever you are, we'll stand together for one more song and worship. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the chance that we've had to study your word. And Lord, thank you for the courage of Elijah, illustrated through the faith he has of walking up there all by himself in front of the wicked king, all by himself in front of those 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah, all by himself in front of the entire country on your behalf. Lord, thank you for the faith that this man exhibits here. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for those who feel alone, just like Elijah must have felt. I pray that they would cling to the truth, that you are with them, that you would open their eyes to see the work that you're doing around them. And Lord, for those who are having hate spewed on them, I pray that they would not have lane violations like I did. I pray that they would not listen to the hate and give it the same strength they would give it the same respect as the truth but God they would remember that you are with them even when people say awful things and Lord for those who feel outnumbered today for those who again are in situations where they've been trusting the odds and the percentages more than they trust you I pray that you would give them the courage to do the righteous thing over what they consider to be percentage wise the sure thing God The only sure things in this world are the things that you ordain. The only sure things in this world are the things that you set in motion. Help us to remember that, even as we use these brilliant brains for your kingdom. I love you, Lord. Speak in power today. It's in Jesus' name we pray.